When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your whole sweet home. I call an 888 money pit. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And this is our very first show of the new year, episode 2168. For those of you that are keeping track, you know, one of my kids has this calendar where he keeps track of all the beers he's had in his life. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's an online thing, right? So, so if you're like, you know, crazy like that, you like to keep track of all your Money Pit episodes, well, now you know. You're going to hear 2168 today. <laughs> <laughs> and you can have it with your 4037th beer. Exactly. Well, listen, coming up on today's show, we're going to talk about icicles first. They, they look very pretty, right? Hanging from the edge of your roof this time of year. We even like put fake icicles on our roofs when we don't really have them because we just think they look so great as holiday lights. But the real icicles actually signal a potential problem with your roof that you're definitely going to want to address. We're going to have tips on how to prevent ice dams and the very serious leaks they can cause. And painting is the easiest and least expensive way that you can completely change the look of a room. But unfortunately, a lot of you DIYers out there struggle when it comes time to pick out the best color or colors or whatever it is you're working on for that project. So we're going to share some tips to help you nail down the perfect colors for your project. And did your furniture pick up a little extra wear and tear over the holidays? We've got some of our favorite hacks to fix water rings, dings, and dents just ahead. And what projects are you planning for this new year? Well, whatever it is, let us help. We want to get you to the finish line in one piece with all your fingers and, you know, your marriage intact and (laughs) all of the things that can potentially go wrong when you're working on a home improvement project. But we want to help you. We want you to do it right. And we want you to be so happy. So give us a call anytime. What's that stat we saw a little while ago that was like 70% of couples report that home improvements done together are stressful? Oh, I I think (laughs) it was like 95%. (laughs) Well, we will help de-stress some of those projects. If you need some tips to help you get started on the right foot, call us right now with those questions at 1-888-MONEYPIT or post them to moneypit.com. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? We've got Joel from Petoskey, Michigan on the line, who's got a question about a stud finder. What are you working on? Well, just working on hanging some pictures and putting some shelves up. And some of the stud finders I've got, when they go, you go back and forth, they kind of go, eh, they make the sound, and but they're not, just not very accurate, and you have to kind of play around with them a lot. I just wonder which one was the best one. Yeah, so I've seen a bunch of them over the years. I will tell you that the ones that are designed for, for deeper walls and the ones that will say that they will they will work with metal studs or they will work through plaster as opposed to just drywall are going to be a little more accurate. But the goal here is really to find one stud, mark it, and then measure off from that on 16-inch centers. That's going to be the size for most walls, 16-inch centers. Yeah. Uh, so, And also keep in mind that 
when you find the stud, it's also sometimes hard to find whether you're in the middle of the stud or the edge yeah, of the or stud. Yeah, the edges. What I'll do a lot is I'll take a really, really thin finish nail if I want to be absolutely sure. And I will, you know, start to nail it in into a place where I don't think it's going to be terribly noticeable or where just a one little quick wipe of spackle will just make it invisible. And find that center of the stud and then measure off from there. But you're right. They're not, they're not going to give you the dead-on center all the time. The ones by Stanley Black & Decker are pretty good. I've used those over the years. But frankly, Joel, i got to tell you, the best stud finder I have is my knuckles. I just knock on the wall. And you can hear <laughs> the difference in sound when you get on top of a stud. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've tried that too. Good. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your help. You're welcome. Good luck with that project. Heading to Arkansas, we've got Nancy on the line who's working on a project. Let's just say there was some flooring maybe done by her husband that uh, needs some help now. (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) I have a question about a gap between our new wood floor that my husband put down and the front door threshold. There's a gap that needs to be filled. Hey, well, he did the hard part, Nancy, right? I mean, he finished the whole floor except for this little spot near the front door threshold. So a couple of ways you can deal with that. Now, uh, it depends on how big a gap this is. And if it's a fairly thin gap in that you can't really get uh, another piece of flooring in there, like let's say it's maybe less than a quarter of an inch, in that case, you're going to want to use a piece of molding on top of it to basically go between the front door threshold and the new section of the floor. However, preferably, if it's a little bit wider than that, I would cut a piece of flooring to fit that exact distance. Whatever the width is, I would cut a piece of flooring and drop it right in there. Even if it was only an inch wide, I would cut that flooring. I would pre-finish the floor, by the way, if the rest of it's already done. It'll make it a lot easier. And then tap it in. And in fact, I would probably make it a little snugger than maybe you think it needs to be. So it kind of holds itself in place. All you're going to need to attach this is maybe two or three pretty sturdy finish nails, and you would pile it out the holes before you drive the nails in. So, like, if it was a number 8 or number 10 nail, you'd probably use, like, around a maybe 332nd bit first, and that's way it won't split that thin piece of wood. You tack it in place. I'd probably put a little glue under it, and then you should be good to go. And after that, the only one that will ever notice that gap and the story behind it will be you. Everybody else is just going to step on it and walk right over it. It'll look great. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes we hyper-focus on the one thing we know that's wrong with the room, right? I mean, you and I do it just because it's like a habit. Yeah, well, because yeah, you exactly. see it, so you know. All right, Ken's on the line. He's got a leak in a ceiling and something is going on with that drywall. Listen, we've all been there. What's happening? What I have is a, a, I had a ceiling leak that caused the sheetrock and the, of the ceiling to uh, separate. And I'm just wondering how I need to approach that project, and is it a do-it-yourself project that I should uh, that I should try myself. So, Ken, um, as long as the leak has been fixed, you certainly probably could repair this yourself. Now, you say the ceiling is separated. If the ceiling is swollen, in other words, if it's sort of sagging down from this leak and it's physically deformed, in that case, you have to cut out that bad section of drywall. But if it's just that the seam perhaps has started to separate, sometimes water gets under the seam and then the drywall tape will peel off. If that's the case, that's not such a big deal. You just pull off all that old loose stuff, whether it's spackle or tape, pull it all off, and then you're going to re-tape that 
from scratch. Basically, you're going to put in like two or three, two coats of very thin spackle with tape, maybe a third coat on top of that, sand it off. And then this is really important, by the way, you have to prime the entire area that leaked because if you don't prime it, any staining that's in that drywall will pull through to the finished coat of paint. And it's really annoying because you'll paint it, you'll stand back and say, oh, it looks great. A couple hours later, you'll see the stains start to leak through it. So you absolutely have to prime it. But I don't see why you can't do that yourself as long as you're comfortable, you know, working with spackle and and drywall tape and being on a ladder or sanding and breathing all that mess too because that often happens as a part of it but a dust mask on it makes it a lot more pleasant and you know make sure your neck you're gonna get a crick in your neck because when you're looking up painting a ceiling i always feel like i'm like oh my neck <laughs> yeah you mean like uh, michelangelo right yeah, seriously <laughs> i think he had scaffolding <laughs> Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. MONEYPIT.
We got Karen in Tennessee on the line who's feeling the chill. What's going on? I have some really nice windows that get lots of sun, and they let the heat in from the sun in the winter time. And they are like the double window, I guess, like the the type that's uh, you know supposed to keep out the the cold, but it doesn't. Uh, so I need something to put over them that will allow the heat to come in, but keep the cold out. And I'm wondering if you have some kind of like film or something, you know, that I can put on there to do that. So. Karen, I think the fact that you have thermal pane windows, that's what you're describing. That's insulated glass is a good thing. Uh, it's nice to hear that they let some heat in during the day. But the reason that they're letting cold get in through that same glass in the, in, in the, in the evening is because there's probably not a low E window. So it doesn't have any reflectivity to it to keep the heat on the hot side, so to speak. So here's what I want you to do. I think you should have a thermal shade like a cellular shade. Cellular shades have an insulating ability. And what you're going to want to do is just make it a habit of keeping those open during the day and then keeping them down at night. Now, by the way, there are fairly inexpensive automation systems that can raise and lower these shades for you based on the time of day and where the sun is, in fact. So you could look into those as well. But I think having them up during the day, you'll be able to capture some of that heat. And and then dropping them as soon as the sun goes down will help keep some of that warmth inside. Because what happens is when the air from your house uh, starts to circulate and hot air rises, but when it strikes that cold glass as it gets really cold, it chills and it falls and kind of feels like a draft. Even though it may not exactly be a draft, it's uncomfortable. But when you put the cellular shade in between the window and you, then that doesn't happen as much, and you'll be a lot more comfortable. Heading to Montana, where Tony's on the line with a question about a crumbly foundation. What's going on? We bought an old 1905 house, and it's got a two-foot-thick rock foundation, and it's crumbling a little bit in some places. So I'd like to know what we need to do to uh, seal the uh, crumbling up so it doesn't keep deteriorating. I mean, Tom, you and I both have older homes, and I feel like we're constantly making repairs to sort of upkeep the stability and structure of the houses, right? Yeah, and you know, right. And with a very thick rock foundation like that, it's probably a stone foundation. It's not the least bit unusual to have to do some repointing, and that's when the old mortar starts to deteriorate and give away. And you can do some repointing with new mortar in there, and that's a job that masons can easily do, or you could tackle it yourself if you feel that you uh, have the time and the ability to do that. And the other thing that sometimes people think is a deteriorated foundation is really when you get some moisture along the exterior walls and starts to leak in through those walls. And it doesn't really show up as like a big flood, but over the years, what will happen is that that moisture gets to the inside. It will then dry out, and what's left behind are mineral salts, which is sort of this white, grayish, crusty-looking stuff. As you might think it's powder your foundation, but it's definitely not. And so either way, that kind of improvement is not unusual in an older house. and something that you should expect to do every once in a while. I mean like every decade or more. Uh, and in this case, if it hasn't been done yet at all, it might be a little bit bigger project the first time around, Tony. But go ahead and fix it up, and you should be good to go. Well, it is officially winter, and while snow on the roof and icicles on the eaves really do look pretty, both could mean that you've got a problem. Now, heavy snowfalls followed by warm days often allow ice to dam up at your roof's edge, and there it's going to block melting snow, and it can lead to some serious leaks inside your house. 
Yeah, and it's more common in warmer attics because those are not properly ventilated. So to prevent this, be sure your roof has vents. You want to make sure you have a good soffit and ridge ventilation system. This means you have vents at the overhang of your roof on the sides of your house, kind of where the gutter attaches. There will be vents underneath that. That's called the soffit. And the ridge is the peak, and those two spaces work together to flush warm air out of the attic and that stops the melting of the snow which forms under the ice and leads to those ice dams. Now, if you plan to replace your roof soon, be sure to have the contractor install a product called Ice and Water Shield. Now, it's a roofing product and it gets installed over the sheathing and it goes up about three feet and then the roof shingles go on top of that. And the reason you put it there is because if you're going to get an ice dam, it's at the edge of the roof. The ice forms there, the water backs up, but if you have Ice and Water Shield, under that the roof shingle, you're not going to have a problem with leaks. Now, while ice damming is definitely like a cold weather climate area issue, in southern climates as well, an ice and water shield underlayment can actually protect against leaks from heavy wind-driven rain, like the type you might get in a hurricane. And in that installation, you're going to cover the entire roof, and then the shingles are installed on top of that. So it's really that extra layer because, you know, when the winds blow, it kind of lifts everything up, and then the water drives up underneath things. So this is definitely helpful regardless of where you are in the country. Absolutely. If you have questions about this project, you can reach us at one eight 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 Money Pit or post them to moneypit.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Oh, now we've got Catherine from Colorado on the line. Not something we like to deal with. Pest control. What is going on with the mice and the rats? Uh, well, the downstairs in the house, it's not finished. Uh, so somehow they're getting in downstairs, and I see little drop-ins, um, different places. So what I've been using so far is the, those green pellets of poison. But I've heard from a friend that there's new products out there, the ultrasonic plugins. I wanted to get information about that, if you would know. Yeah, I would skip that. I think that's kind of junk science. So uh, I would skip any of those ultrasonic plugins things. What you want to do is a couple of things. First of all, you want to eliminate nesting areas. So around the area of your house, if you have firewood, trash cans, debris of any sort that's anywhere near the foundation, those are nesting areas for rodents. You eliminate those. Secondly, you plug up any openings in the outside walls of that house. Now, mice need something the size of about a quarter or even less to get in. So any openings should be should be plugged. Uh, inside the house, you want to make sure that there's no food for them. So a lot of times people will make mistakes by providing food when they don't realize they're doing it. For example, I had a friend who used to keep uh, her pet food in the garage and it was a big you know sack 50 pound whatever it was bag of pet food never really even noticed that the mice had dug themselves a nice little front door for this that wasn't obvious and they were just getting a big meal every single day from the pet food so look for things like that where where food is being left out for them moisture is also very attractive to rodents so water that collects the foundation perimeter can bring them in and inside the house i think you're doing the right thing using uh, the baits and the poisons 
because that's they're very effective with most of the the baits today. You know, for example, the decon uh, one uh, hit of that, so to speak, it takes them out. I mean, it's just one and done. So I think all those things together is what's going to control and reduce the rodent population around this house. Ben in Illinois is on the line and is having some issues with a water heater. Tell us what's going on. Over a period of time, my hot water stream would keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And finally got to the point where I turned the hot water on, it would just barely trickle. I disconnected the discharge pipe on the discharge side of the hot water heater and found that the lime had built up so bad in the pipe coming out of the top of the hot water heater that there was just a very tiny hole there. Right. At that point in time, didn't know what else to do. I just took a very large screwdriver and tapped that limestone out of there. Of course, that fell to the bottom of the hot water heater. It's been fine for about four and a half years. It's getting to the point where I'm going to have to do it again. And I've talked to retired plumbers in that, and they told me that it, what's causing that is a reaction between the copper pipe and the metal that is uh, on top of the hot water heater. And I was told that there was a, like a nipple that you screw on top of the hot water heater and then connect your copper pipe. My question is, what type of metal is that that goes between the copper pipe and uh, the metal coupling on top of the hot water heater? Yeah, Ben, all you want to do is head to a plumbing supply house and ask for plastic-lined nipples. That actually is going to create the um, sort of the bimetal protection or insulation between uh, those two pipes, and that will stop that corrosive effect uh, that you're seeing, and of course, they'll stop the pipe from clogging as a result of that. All right. Well, I sure thank you for your time and your advice. Well, painting is one of the easiest ways to change the look of a room, but it's still something a lot of DIYers shy away from, and the main reason is this. It's sort of like too much of a good thing. There are so many colors available in the paint aisles of local home centers and hardware stores and paint stores, it can make your head spin. So, Leslie, why do you think people get that deer-in-the-headlight feeling when they think about choosing paint colors. I mean, you're right. There's definitely so many color options to choose from. And it's not just, you know, every variety of color of the rainbow. It's every shade of every color of the rainbow. So you're like, I thought I just wanted blue, but there's a million blues. And which is the right blue? And which one's going to make me happy? Because I think people realize you're going to be living with this paint color for a while because you really don't want to do the project again anytime soon. So a couple of ways that you can go about choosing the right paint color is, you know, keep Keep paint color trends in mind. Now, every year, paint manufacturers and design groups, they name a color of the year. Now, for 2022, Sherwin-Williams, they went with a color called Evergreen Fog, and Benjamin Moore went with October Mist, but both are kind of a softer, neutral green. Pantone, on the other hand, mixed it up with a citrusy-like color called Coral Rose, which they describe as having an energizing presence that brings a sense of excitement. Now, even though those are the trend colors forecast for the year, you can still go with what's in your gut, but you have to really take the time to choose. Have you ever noticed that the way the manufacturers and the design groups name these paints, it's kind of the same way you name wine? I mean, Coral Rose could be Coral Rosé. It awakens your taste buds by having an energizing presence that brings a sense of excitement. I mean, you can see that on a menu, right? <laughs> You're like, I'll have a bottle of Coral Rosé. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this Coral Rosé has nice legs. 
Exactly. I guess whether you're ready to chill out with neutrals or go bold, knowing the trends will give you a place to start. But I guess the question is, how do you know which ones are going to work best together? Like, can you use some of these opposites to sort of highlight your architecture? I mean, the color wheel is definitely like an artist and a designer's, you know, top tool. There's always a color and sort of a coordinating color with it. It's the opposite end of the color wheel. So like when you look at it, you'll see red is on one end, green is on the other. And you think, oh, it seems Christmassy, but you don't have to go red and green. You can go like a super soft, sagey green for your cabinets or a more richer, deep, darker green for a cabinet finish. But then when it comes to the wood in the room or wood furnishings, you can choose something that has a reddish undertone in the stain. That's the same way you're using complementary colors. Now, another option is to sort of go ombre with that color and pick different hues of that same color because they're all in the same color family. I mean, heck, you can even use that paint chip to kind of see what different shades are of that existing color that you're picking for the wall. So you can look for that in fabrics or accessories or furnishings, you know, anything like that. And also consider a neutral. I mean, it can be gray, black, white, brown, and that can be your neutral base that kind of balances everything if you're going with a brighter wall color. Now, I've heard you say in the past that you can find, if you find one item, one color in your house that really speaks to you, like that's a good way to start. And with technology today, you could take, you know, that favorite item to a paint store and they can look at it under a, under a scanner and tell you exactly what the color is and actually match the paint and kind of go from there, right? I mean, for sure. If there's something that you love or there's something you want to pull out of a pattern, you can absolutely bring that in and you can have that color matched, which is a great technology and really a good way to coordinate everything in the space. Another interesting thing that I've been seeing is that a lot of people are painting things the same color. So if you're in a room and you've picked a great color for the wall, some people are also painting all of the trim in that room that same exact color. Or maybe they're going with a darker shade of that same color for the trim or even built-in bookcases, you know, wainscoting, arch doorways, any kind of architectural detail. Instead of going with a traditional stained wood or a traditional white trim, people are choosing a coordinating you with that same color of the wall. So there's a lot of fun things that you can do. I mean, you really can do a lot of things to make your space stand out, seem personal, but be a space that you're going to love for a while. And I think that's the most important part. One of the tricks that I love to use is if I have a smaller room and I want to use like a darker wall in it, that I will take the ceiling color and I will actually bring it down the wall about 12 inches because it makes the room seem bigger than it is. It gives you that sort of coffered ceiling look, but you're doing it with paint, not with molding. No, I know. It's so great. It's such an interesting trick of the eye. We have like this little alcove in our bedroom and there's maybe a six or an eight inch strip of wall. And even though that's painted wall color and the underside of the alcove is white, for some reason that space feels so big and it has like this extra spot in it. I mean, it's so interesting the way you can play with color, you know, in the contrast of light and dark to create space. There you go. So hopefully we gave you guys some ideas on how you should not be so overwhelmed by the chore of choosing just the right color. And you'll be able to pick out some colors that work well for you on your next painting project. Nancy in Massachusetts is dealing with a garage that's got other plans than closing. <laughs> What's going on there? I have a dilemma about what to do about the door. It's just not closing properly, and sometimes it doesn't even want to go up and down, never mind when it comes down. It 
wiggles left to right, left to right, till it gets to the bottom. This is on a garage door opener? Oh, oh yes. So yes. When, it, when it goes up and down, it shimmies in the, in the opening? Yes, and the closing. So generally, the rollers on the side of the garage door are failing when that occurs. They're ball-bearing rollers, and when they get stuck... Then, then they get sort of hung up on the way down, and that's what makes the door sort of vibrate. Uh, and puts a lot of resistance on it, too, and that may be the reason it's not closing all the way or closing evenly. It sounds like the door is pretty old, and you know your options are to replace all the hardware uh, and try to you know realign the door, get it working right, or just replace the door and the door opener. If it's if it's that old and that you know sort of rickety, I, I might lean towards just a replacement. The new doors today are actually a lot lighter than the old doors, and they work really smoothly. Um, I just put two on in the garage, uh, I guess about uh, eight nine months ago. Now I'm really happy with them, and I used to have really heavy hardboard doors on this garage. Now I have nice uh, factory-painted steel doors that uh, look really good, really sharp, and just close flawlessly every single time. Well, this is one of those metal doors. It is? Okay. But it's an older metal door? Yeah. And I put both shield um, on the tracks to try to get it to roll down properly. Yeah. But if the hardware has failed, even if you've lubricated the tracks, if the hardware has failed, it's not going to work right. So what would you recommend? A new door or just get somebody over to do the hardware? I'd get a new door and a new opener. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to put good money after bad. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, who knows if you could find the old hardware to match and everything. I'd just get a new door and new opener. I think it'd be worth it. Okay. Very good advice. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Nancy. Good luck with that project. Well, now that the holiday season has passed, is your furniture looking a little worse for the wear? Did you pick up a few rings, dings, dents? A lot of things happen to furniture, especially when you've got a ton of family over and everybody's excited about Christmas. Well, we've got a few hacks here that are going to help you bring that furniture back to shape. First of all, those white rings that you might see on a, on a coffee table top or even your dining table, those are caused when water vapor penetrates into that furniture's finish and kind of leaves that mark and it's just below the surface of that finish. But you can remove it if you wipe those rings gently with a cloth that's been barely dampened with denatured alcohol. It's just going to pull that moisture right out. Another thing you might be seeing is like a shallow chip in a piece of furniture. Now, if you have one of those shallow chips, you can actually use a few drops of clear nail polish. I mean, this is as long as you've got some of that color of the finish still there with that chip. If not, you're going to have to sort of figure out a way to match that color, whether it's with a wax crayon or a little bit of paint or stain, and then you go ahead and use the nail polish. And you'll put a little bit on. You want to let it dry. Then you sand it flush with a 600-grit sandpaper. I mean, that is super, super, super fine. And if you want to sort of restore that sheen on a satin finish, you want to rub it after the other process with the nail polish with a 4 aught that's 4-0 steel wool and paste wax. If you've got a glossy finish, you can use some auto-polishing compound and a rag, but just be super careful. It's not anywhere that you can slip. Now, here's something that can really freak you out when all of a sudden you get a big, deep, large scratch or really kind of a worn edge. Well, an easy way to make those a lot less obvious is simply to take a felt tip touch-up marker and then go ahead and color in the exposed part of that wood. Now, these come in a variety of wood tones to match common furniture finishes. You can use them to color large scratches or edges where the steam has worn away. I was helping my friend refinish a table not too long ago, and we had some of those, and... 
I said, hey, you got a Sharpie? And sure enough, you had a Sharpie. Well, just by darkening those scratches, it blended right in with the darker sort of wood, warm wood finish. And you didn't see it when it was all done. So a little trick of the eye there to make those deep scratches not quite so obvious. Just darken them up with a Sharpie or with an appropriately colored touch-up marker. Heading out to Chile, Ohio, we've got Kirk on the line who's looking to make the floors a little warmer. Tell us about your project. I'm putting an addition onto the back of the house, and uh, one, I was wondering about doing in-floor heating, uh, wondering about running that through the fireplace. The other possibility I have, I do have some heat ducts that I can uh, run over, and uh, the other question is about flooring. Um, it's a, a two-story addition, will be used partially for sales. Wondered about uh, putting tile on the floor. Also, another possibility would be doing textured concrete. That's an interesting idea, Kirk, uh, to run your uh, to run your heating pipes for your fireplace, but I got to say that's probably the least efficient way I can imagine you trying to distribute heat. I mean, is that even a thing? I don't think so. I, I've never <laughs> heard it. I, I mean, I give them credit for the creativeness of it, but, you know, look, a boiler exists for a reason to efficiently heat water, circulate it through plumbing pipes, in which case for underfloor heating, you could use PEX. Uh, there's actually a special floor sheathing that has grooves in it where you can run the PEX pipe in the grooves. Uh, and then put your finished floor on top of that, which could be any kind of finished floor. But I don't think you can run this through a fireplace in the sense that use the fireplace as the heating element. It's just, it's not going to generate enough. It's not designed to do that. You'd have to have a wood-burning fire going all the time or a coal-burning fire going all the time, you know, or a pellet-burning stove going all the time. It just makes no sense whatsoever. So we give you credit for the uh, for the idea, for the energy, for the enthusiasm, but really bad idea. If you want in-floor heating, though, that is a really good idea. If you've got hot water heat, you do it with PEC. Now, if you've got hot air heat, you really can't use hot air heat to do underfloor heating. In that case, what you would have to do is use electric heat on top of the slab. And in that case, like it would be really... Like a separate thing. Yeah, it would be expensive. So if you've got hot water and you can do it with PEX piping, that'd be the way to go, but not to heat the water using the fireplace. Well, Ken recently wrote in, and he says, we had some more insulation added to our attic, but we have a whole house fan, and there used to be a wooden hatch between the attic and the second floor ceiling. We'd open this to run the fan, but the contractor installing the insulation covered it. Is there a better, more automatic option? I guess he's looking for a better way to operate this whole house fan, but with all that nice new insulation, does he really need to? Well, don't confuse a whole house fan with an attic fan. So kind of two separate conversations here. An attic fan is typically mounted in the on the roof surface, and it turns on when the attic gets hot and pulls air out of the attic, hot air out of the attic in the summer. I personally don't like attic fans because I know that not only do they pull hot air out of the attic, they also reach down into the house and pull air-conditioned air out of the house. You're better off with passive ventilation like ridge and soffit vents. But what Ken is talking about is a whole house fan. Now, a whole house fan is, unlike an attic fan, it's designed to cool the whole house. And these are actually really good. Um, I've had one in a house that I own for years. And the way it works is when it gets hot and maybe early in the evening it starts to get a little cooler, if you open some windows around your house, you turn the whole house fan on and it pulls a nice breeze through the house and what we used to do is have it on a timer, so by the time we went to sleep, it went off automatically by itself. 
Now, in Ken's case, it sounds like you've got a really old one here where manually you had to sort of open and hatch for this to work. You don't have to do that anymore. There's a type of louvered grate that goes on the bottom of that whole house fan, and basically it reacts on the airflow. Once the fan kicks on, the louvers open and let the air in. When the fan goes off, the louvers close. And to your point, Leslie, yes, you will have to pull the insulation back if it was mistakenly put on top of that whole house fan, which would frankly have been a really dumb thing for the insulator to do. Really dumb. I mean, you just don't cover stuff up like that. Uh, it would have to be pulled back, but then you should be able to use it normally. I'm going to presume that you have enough exhaust ventilation in that attic because when you use a whole house fan, you have to make sure there's plenty of ways for that air to get back out. But uh, you'll find that you really like it, and you just want an automatic louver to replace that big old hatch that you used to use in the past. All right. Hopefully that makes life a lot easier. Now we've got one from... Corin or Corrine, I guess, in Pennsylvania, who needs some help with a driveway. She says that the black flexible spacers between the big three concrete slabs make up her driveway. They're brittle. They're coming out. They're falling apart. Can she replace them herself? And what does she use to do this? Yeah. So those were put in when the driveway was first poured. And yeah, they are sort of points of expansion and contraction. And they're not really designed to be replaced. So if they're deteriorated, you can pull them out. And then what you want to do is you want to use a urethane sealant. There are flowable products that could be used to flow in between those spaces where they used to be. But in order to make it a lot easier, first you push down the spaker into that space, what's called a backer rod, which is like a foam tube. You push down so it's like I mean, an inch down from the surface of the concrete, and then you put the layer of your thing right over that. It will expand and contract with the driveway, and you won't have to deal with that ever again. All right. I hope that helps you out, Corinne. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Hey, thanks, guys, for spending this part of your day with us. We are off and rolling with our 2022 shows. This is the first episode, episode 2168. We hope we've given you a tip or two that helps you out. If you've got some projects that you're planning for the days, the weeks, the months ahead, we would love to hear from you. You know how to get in touch with us. You can call us 24-7 at 888-MONEYPIT. If we're not in the studio... We promise to call you back the next time we are, or you can post your questions to moneybit.com. Until then, I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. You live in a body pit.